Thank you, uh, Vincent and Wingsun. Uh, appreciate those songs of truth and, <clears throat> and encourage us as we worship the Lord this morning. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> please take them and turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. <clears throat> if you'll uh, pardon my voice this morning, it's a little hoarse. It's just because my body's finally succumbed to that flu or cold that's going around. And so uh, thank you for sharing uh, your love with me. <laughs> no. All right. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11 to 16. Last week we read 1 through 16. This morning I want to read 11 through 16. Uh, just, uh, but keep in mind the full context is, is all of chapter is all of four, one through 16, but I'll just read 11 through 16 because, uh, it's, it really belongs all together. It's uh, one long sentence in, uh, in the Greek Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 through 16. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we pray that you would now, that you would cause your word to go forth and accomplish with that which you purpose your word to do in the lives of those of, of your people. And we pray that you would give us uh, <clears throat> encouragement as we, can, as we walk on earth, to walk in a manner worthy of you, of worthy of Christ, and, but to, as we fulfill not only your purposes for us, but as we grow and attain, as we become more like that which you have purposed us to become, to be like. We ask that you will be glorified as we, uh, as we look to your word, give us ears to hear again, we pray, and help us to be a church that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This week, I've been thinking a little bit uh, about my parents, uh, just because I had a relatives in town, and so uh, hopefully you get to meet them a little later. Some of you will get a chance to meet uh, them a little later in uh, second service or in around the church, but I started thinking about parents and the role of parents in our lives, and all of us have parents, and parents play a very important role. You know, when we're born, and we think about our parents and, and how important how they really have impacted us throughout from, uh, not just from infancy, but from conception all the way uh, through uh, to our life today. Uh, when we're born, we're completely helpless and we're dependent upon our parents to live. Uh, obviously, we, we, if we just, they just, we're born, we're just left on the, on the curb or on the street or on the table, uh, we would die without our parents' care. Of course, their parents, they, they love us, they care for us, and they nourish, they, they care, they, or they start instructing us, guiding us as we grow. Over the years, we may become a bit more independent, and we, as we gain more abilities, uh, we become a little more uh, free, and we gain responsibility, yet, and though we can feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, uh, generally stay alive, even by our middle school years, 
Yet, nevertheless, our parents continue to nourish and care and instruct and guide us. Though the level of care changes through the years, parents are God's provision for our earthly life and growth. Parents, uh, or those whom God entrusts to us as parents, have been given to us by God so that we might live and grow and thrive. None of us here would be who we are, where we are today, without the role of parents. That's how God has designed not only the family, but God has also designed the church in a similar way. Just as God has provided parents to help us grow, so also God has provided gifted teachers to the church to help her grow. And that, uh, as we learned last week, is the first of six principles from Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, about Christ's provision for the growth of his church. He gives gifted teachers to nourish and care and instruct and guide the church as it grows. This passage, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, really belongs all together. Sometimes in your translations, you'll find that there's, for, just for simplicity and understanding and reading, uh, they'll break it into two or three sentences, and you see that, just periods within the text. But in the Greek, it's really just one long sentence. Paul, in his, in his, in his, as he expresses this, uh, these, uh, these six verses, is expressing one common thought, one idea. He wants to convey what he has provided Paul wants to commit what Christ has provided to the church for our growth and, and how what Christ has provided works together and works out in causing the church to grow so that the Ephesian church and, and every church and today our church would understand how does Christ work in causing SF Bible to continue to grow. This first month of the year is devoted to us, as a, devoted as a church, to reminding us of our mission, our, our vision, and values. And this passage, which we began studying last week uh, and continue this week, teaches us that Jesus Christ has designed the church to grow as it fulfills its purpose to make disciples through speaking the truth to one another in love. As you know, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And the substance of that, of when we make disciples, what does that look like? What is that, uh, not, even though we talked about it's not a program or a class or a relationship or a discipline, particular set of disciplines, but it's, it looks like essentially speaking the truth of Christ to one another, to speaking the truths of God to each other, encouraging one another, not just in a formal classroom setting though, or not in just in a, in a sermon that we do on a Sunday morning, but it's what we might do on, on Tuesday or Wednesday, when we come alongside each other, we see each other at school, we see each other at work, we see each other at the home, and we might speak, encourage one another with, with truths from God, either truths we're learning or truths that come to mind. And these things really shape us. And I read Deuteronomy 6, to, that's a call to worship. You think about it, how much of the words of our parents stick with us? Phrases that they've said hundreds if not thousands of times. What is it when those words that they speak to us as moms and dads are the words of God? And then when they're gone, how much does that want to just how much does that impact our life? How much does that want to hold on and treasure those truths even more? 
parents, you have, we have so much power. We're speaking things to our children all the time. When we speak truths, we are really blessing that next generation. They'll hold on to those words. As we consider Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, we'll consider how Christ grows his church and also how we go about fulfilling our mission. As we look at, uh, we, as our outline, it is six principles for the spiritual growth of SF Bible, of which uh, today we'll look at our uh, second, uh, second set of two. We looked at the first two last week. We'll look at the second two this morning. And, uh, but just a quick review as we go along of the first two principles. The first principle for the spiritual growth of SF Bible we learned last week is the ministry of gifted teachers. Jesus Christ gave, uh, has given various gifted teachers to the church for her growth. And though we have, uh, as gifted teachers, have, they have different roles in the growth of the church, the essence of their ministry is the same. They speak God's word to God's people. Their task is to teach the word of God so that the people are equipped with the necessary tools for the ministry of disciple making. And that tool, most important tool of all, is simply understanding the word of God. The word of God is God's specific revelation to mankind to reveal so many of the, of the truths, the principles that we need to live. That we need to, we need to know about the existence of God. We need to know about the curse of sin. We need to know about the Savior who came and the call to follow him. All these are important truths, important tools that we understand for living uh, this in this world. And these tools, tools, when we grasp and understand them, equips us to be disciple makers of Jesus Christ. Now this led us to the second principle for the growth of the Bible, which is then the ministry of the saints. The saints here are sometimes translated as holy ones. It's not those people that are like deceased and now are, you know, have some halo over their head. But saints are holy ones in the sense that they are referred to Christians, believers in Jesus Christ who are set apart. The idea of holiness or saints is that it's people who are set apart, set aside for his service, for his use, for his purposes. And all of us are set aside for the work of service, for the work of ministry. This work of service, work of ministry that we learned last week is the, primarily that of, of, though we do many things, it's primarily that of speaking truths of Christ to one another. Whether a church is a church of thousands, whether it's a church of hundreds, or whether it's a church of ten, every church can speak the truths of Christ to one another. I sometimes think about it recently, uh, what's the, some of the persecution in the, going on over in China. And it's difficult for them to gather together. But does that mean disciple-making has stopped? Absolutely not. In fact, it's how making probably continues on as fervent as ever because they know how much, uh, how important it is that the truths that even though their pastors and their elders have been arrested and, and put on trial and in prison, the church knows that we need to pass these truths on. They, and they can get together in smaller groups and, and speak truths to one another and teach one another and continue. But when we all do this, when we speak truths to one another, whether it's formal or even informal, God uses us to effectively build up the body of Christ, is what we learned in verse 12. We cannot leave this task, the work of teaching God's word, to just the evangelists or only the elders or pastors of a church. And we all have a part in the work. So if God has given us teachers to teach us God's word, then let us be faithful to share what we understand with others in our lives. And in doing so, we fulfill the great commission to teach others to keep all that Christ commands. 
And so with that, in verse 13, Paul moves to our third principle, our, our first point today, by answering how long the ministry of gifted teachers and, this, and the saints will last. How long will we continue making disciples? And we learn in this uh, verse 13, our third point, and uh, pardon the, <laughs> I just saw the typo there, the goal of our ministry, the goal of our ministry. At verse 13, we pick up the text, and there it says, we do, we do the work of ministry, God's Christ gives us gifted teachers, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The whole verse is what's called a, a temporal clause. It tells us how long something is to last. How long will the teaching of the word of God to one another and others continue? Is it, do we do it for a season? Do we just do it once, a one-time thing? Or how long should we do it for? Until maybe we can replace ourselves in, in a ministry and let someone else do it? This idea is, there's an there's a indication of how long by the phrase, until we all attain to. So that's kind of translated until we reach to. Note, there's a universality of this. It's until we all attain to something. Not just some of us attain to something, but first of all, notice it's, we're going we're to make disciples, we're going to speak truth to one another until we all, and that's speaking of all of the believers, all Christians, attain to something. Not just some saints, but all the saints. This idea of attaining is, is, is a use literally of reaching a destination, getting to a place. Here it's used figuratively to mean to arrive at something so that one comes to possess it. The teaching of God's word leads all believers to a common destination that we might possess. What is it that we must possess is indicated by three what's called prepositional phrases. Beginning with the preposition to, it's, a, it's clear in our NAS translation, it's to this, to this, to this, until we all attain to this. The first, and the first thing we attain to is to unity, to unity. The first destination or goal of, of our disciple making until we all, the whole church of Jesus Christ, attains to the unity, and no further describe, that the church of Christ would be, this word unity means that we'd be all as one. They would be unified, joined together somehow. When we hear this term today, unity, especially in context of churches, I know for me, when I was a young man, when I thought of unity, I really thought of when we all get together, get together with other churches, and we have joint praises, joint worship nights. We haven't had those in a long time. But that was like a, like a staple of all youth ministry. Get together with other Christians and, you know, sing songs, and we all hold it, scratch friends back and, you know, next to you, all that kind of stuff. And it was, oh, this is unity. That's what, that's what I, I felt like that, there was this experience. Or some people, when they think of unity, especially maybe more today, might think of Christians, no matter what denomination they belong to, decide to simply accept one another, even though we may have significant theological differences. For instance, uh, the Roman Catholic Church and, and evangelicals. We, can, we have significant theological differences about what we believe about how one is saved. But we can say, hey, well, we all, we all believe in Jesus, so... Let's all accept one another. That's, that's some more of the common way of unity today. Is unity a common experience? Holding hands, singing, scratching friends back. Is unity acceptance of differences? 
Paul means neither of these things when he talks about the unity that we are all to attain to. Note that he says this unity is a unity of the faith, a unity of the faith. The word faith here, with the article preceding it, as in this case, is often a reference to the body of doctrine, the body of truths that we believe. It's the faith that we believe or we hold on to. It's not the act of faith, but the, the, uh, the object of, of, of these truths. Paul wrote about this kind of unity back in verse 3. There in verse 3, believers are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Then Paul proceeds to describe that unity by listing what? By listing our common beliefs. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is, this is doctrine. One God and Father of all who is in all and in. Genuine Christian unity is, always has been, and always will be, one of commonality in holding to an essential body of truth. To further confirm this, Paul also calls the church not only to attain to the unity of the faith, but to attain to the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. We're attaining, we're all to make disciples speak truth to one another until we all attain to this unity that is of the knowledge, what we might know, truths of, about the Son of God. The central truth of the Christian faith, the Christian doctrine, is the truth about the Son of God, isn't it? It's about Jesus Christ. Our message is not just love one another, though that is an important principle in the Bible. It's not just our, our, our message is not be holy, for God is holy, though that's important truth in the principle. Our primary message is, is about Christ, about the Son of God, and how he was crucified for our sins. That's the central truth of, of the Christian doctrine. We, the truths about the Son of God, such as not only his deity, his humanity, his life and his death, his resurrection, his lordship, and his return, are all these important doctrines this, of the, that we might classify as the knowledge of the Son of God. And we, are all, we have a unity when we all hold to these same truths. It binds us together so that when I meet a stranger all the way in, I was in, uh, as I mentioned last week, I was in the uh, up, little upstate New York in a small little church. Oh, I love the name. I want to say it again. Wappingers. I love that. It's really cool. I'm like, well, I've never been there. It's cool. But there was a ble- group of believers there. I barely got to know them, but I felt a kinship with them because they held to the same truths that I hold to. One Lord, one faith, the same Son of God whom we all know came to die for our sins. It's this unity that is our goal. As we make disciples, our goal is unity. A second destination, our goal is maturity. Maturity. It says, until we all attain to a mature man. It's kind of interesting. This is, it's until we all attain, all of us together attain to a mature man, singular. Though there's a plural group of people, we're pictured as, a, as growing up to become a mature man. We're building up one another in the truths of Christ so that we would become, as a church, a mature man. This, this is a metaphor, a figure of speech. The word mature can be translated as perfect. That would be, if we translate as perfect in, in the way we take it today in English, that would be missing the point. Rather, this word mature carries the idea of reaching the end or purpose of something. In the figure of the church as a body, if the church is a body and Jesus Christ is the head, then as it matures, as it grows, it should become a 
mature man. It's a body and a head, right? So mature man. It's not just, you can picture a body, a baby's body, and a bit with Christ as the head. But that baby's body will eventually grow so that that body becomes a, man, a man's body, a mature man. Uh, I know uh, some of you, many of us have young boys in our family. And boys, uh, as you know, they're, they're pretty they're rambunctious and they're wild and crazy. Uh, they're really cute. And, uh, and you think, uh, especially when they're younger, and uh, you, sometimes you, as parents, it's deceptive because like, oh, it would be nice, so cute if they were always this way. And sometimes, but I'm glad they're not always that way because uh, after, I think after 18 years, I'd be pretty tired of it. After 18, 21 years, though, we, we don't expect them to continue to be boys or act like boys. We expect them to become and act like mature men, responsible people. In fact, as parents, we have a responsibility to prepare them to be mature men. Even if at this point, it's funny, I, uh, I know uh, my, one of my sons says, I don't want to grow up. <laughs> uh, I said, well, you, you will have to. <laughs> but you, you'll want to, I said, at some point, and I hope that he will want to. But we are to expect a similar maturing in the church of Jesus Christ. See, in, in our normal life, how does one become mature? How, does, how do we mature? And sometimes we think, oh, it's just simply a matter of time. If you just, like, wait you know, just eventually you'll mature. And certainly there is that some of that sense in, in the sense our body grows. But I think as parents, parents just don't leave us to our own devices and just say, well, you're going to mature anyways. Parents continually guide, especially those, those, teen, those very important teenage years to shape us and mold us. They teach us about increase our responsibility as they give us responsibility. So we might learn increasing, growing responsibility and how we might respond rightly, how we fulfill that responsibility rightly. And so when we move out on our own, when we start a career, when we get married, when we buy a home, when we uh, uh, have our own children, all those times we understand are are times of increasing responsibility that God gives us. Responsibility is not to to run away from, but responsibilities to, by the grace of God and dependence upon him, to step into and to take ownership and say, I'll be responsible to do these things. That's increased. That's maturity. <coughs> the similar thing happens in the Christian faith. We learn and we grow in our understanding of responsibility. That's why we're even looking at this passage. We're looking about what does Christ call us to do as a church? To make disciples. Even when we come each every week, we're asking, what does God want us to do? How does he want us to live? What is the responsibilities that we have to Christ? And then we prayerfully seek to fulfill them by the grace of God. That's maturity. Our goal is maturity as a church. And it's not just individually, though we can apply it that way, but really we want to see this maturity throughout the whole church. That if we could look at as a Bible someday, we continue to make disciples until this whole church, and really uh, this whole local church is a mature man. That we all understand our responsibility. That we all together uh, function like a mature person would, accomplishing the purposes the response, and fulfilling the responsibility that Christ has given to us. There's a third goal of our ministry until we all attain not only to unity, to maturity, but until we all attain to conformity. <laughs> now, if I said, uh, now I hope you this doesn't mean that we all got to dress the same. Uh, doesn't mean that we got to like the same kind of music. You know, we, all, we don't all have to like country music or, you know, whatever your favorite music is, K-pop music or rap music. Uh, thankfully, it's not that. We don't all have to even like uh like to sing only hymns. It's not conformity in our outward appearance. It's not conformity in our speech necessarily by the words we use. 
It's not conforming in the activities that we do or, or, or uh, enjoy. What is this conformity? Until we all attain to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. It is a conformity to Christ. Since Jesus Christ is the head of the church and the church is his body, we may expect that the church would fully manifest Jesus Christ to the world. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, in fact, the church is called there the fullness of him. That is the fullness of Christ. The church is called many things, but one of those things is that it's the fullness of Christ. It's that when Christ fills his church, when we reflect, when we know Christ, when the more we know him, we will manifest, we'll, be, like, we'll exhibit the, the characteristics of Christ, not only with one another, but to our world. So when we build up the church, the church grows in this Christ-likeness. We are reminded of Romans 8.29 where believers are said to be predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Our destination, really our, our destiny is, is Christ. This is our goal, this is our aim, this is whom God has set us to become like as a church, to attain to the conformity to Christ. It's good to, to give a, uh, this, uh, this clarity as far as like whom we are to become more and more like. It's the measure by which we are all, uh, that we are to grow to become like. You know, each year when we evaluate our lives, we, we can evaluate, am I becoming more like Christ? Not only that, but we can ask ourselves as a church, or is this church as a whole becoming more like Christ? But no conforming to Christ takes, takes, will take place apart from then the teachings of Christ. When we speak truths and we encourage one another of the, of the words of God, the words about Christ. See, uh, I just thought about it uh, yesterday that the truth of Christ is like coffee. <laughs> I like to throw those coffee illustrations in as much as I can. You can go and hang out at a, uh, a coffee house. You can even buy a cup of coffee, hold on to it for an hour or so. But that coffee will do nothing for you as far as, I, you know, nothing practical for you unless you drink it, right? You got to drink it. You can go to church, listen to a sermon, but the truths of Christ won't conform you to Christ. It won't accomplish anything in you until you intake it, imbibe it, make it your own, receive it. We must understand God's word. We strive to understand when we hear a sermon to understand it, but then not just understand, but the, how I, I might apply it to my life. And let me just say, on a Sunday morning, we, we don't give much time to that. And that's why it's so important for us outside of Sunday mornings, you know, in the evenings or throughout the week, to talk to one another about how we might apply God's truths. We encourage one another in that way. Let this church understand that if we wish to grow in unity, maturity, and conformity to Christ, we will do, we will do so through the intake of the teachings of Christ. Too many Christians today in our world, you look to those, every once in a while you see another Pew Research you know, uh, report about Christians or people who say they're Christians, and it's another thing like, oh, they don't believe in hell. They don't believe in heaven. Uh, they don't believe that the Bible is true. Uh, they, you know, like, you're just scratching your head because these are Christians. Uh, they say, well, I don't really need to go to church. I, all I need is Jesus, and I'm, I'm good. And you think, they... 
there are too many, uh, as far as the statistics go, too many Christians or professing Christians do not know their Bibles, do not know the doctrines of the Bible. They might know a little bit about the Bible, but they don't know the doctrines, the truths of, that the Bible teaches. And increasing, and, and especially in our world, because it's just a, uh, a just a, a, a postmodern kind of world, increasing numbers of people just don't think it's relevant. They're just looking for an experience of what we can get out of church, what we might accomplish as, a, as, a, as an organization in our world. Those experiences, experiences are legitimate. They're, they're things we, we do get as a church. But they, are, they, can't, they cannot be void apart from, they cannot happen apart from that understanding, grasping of the why we do the things we do, why we experience what we experience, because of these body of truths that we hold to and believe and we proclaim. That's a, but even as this is the goal of our ministry, to increasing maturity, increasing unity, to maturity, conformity to Christ, there's a hindrance to our growth. And this is our fourth principle. And it's the hurdle. I call it the hurdle to our ministry. There's a, there's a goal to our ministry, and as we run towards it, as we, we grow uh, uh, until we all attain to it, there are hurdles along the way. There are things that hinder us. There are obstacles that we must overcome or jump or go around. We read this in verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. The New American Standard starts a new sentence here. But again, don't forget that in the Greek, this is a continuation of the sentence, a continuation of the preceding thought, in fact. In fact, verse 13, 14 are a clear contrast to one another. They really belong together. This verse indicates the, res- the result. It is so that, literally it's so that, or in order that. It indicates the result of growing in maturity as a church. As we, until we all attain to this unity, uh, maturity, conforming to Christ, so that this might happen, so that we might have sin. Whereas verse 13 describes the goal of maturity in the body of Christ, verse 14 describes the hurdle of immaturity. It's our immaturity that gets in the way. This is what, must, what we as a church must overcome if we are to grow. Here's, where Christ, here's why Christ needed to give gifted teachers to the church, to equip the saints so they do the work of ministry, to the building of the body of Christ. Jesus gives all of these things to us so that we might overcome these hurdles, these obstacles. And he uses several metaphors to describe our hurdles in verse 14. First of all, he uses the, the metaphor of children to describe our own immaturity. Just like children are born immature. I mean, they're not grown and mature people right at birth. So also are Christians. When we are born and when we are church, when we're new Christians, we are immature. We have an immaturity to us. And the text tells us that we are no longer to be children. This is a description of our immaturity. The word for children, napios, is a word that is often used of infants and, and young babies. Maybe at most oldest toddlers, two, three years old. Some of those that I get to, that you joyfully watch roaming around uh, this building even this morning. They're napios, they're children. We're no longer to be children. We should not remain spiritual babies. And the, though, of course, everybody would agree universally that when they are napios, they are just adorably cute, right? But nobody would want their children to grow and to stay that way all their lives. 
18-year-old babies, you know, people were still wearing their diapers, still sucking their thumbs, still expecting mom and dad to feed them, are not very cute. We expect babies to grow, and therefore Paul says expect the church, even though we are children, when we first start off, we are not to remain children. We're to continue to grow. We expect to grow and not to remain in our immaturity. Children start off as helpless. They can't do anything for themselves. They always need someone to help them. Children are ignorant when they're young, when they're at that age. Children are inconsistent in their immaturity. I I know of some kids uh, out there who ask for food, and and then when their loving parents give them that food, a minute later they say, oh, I don't want that. You know, kids like that. Or the opposite. Children are fickle. A good doctor once told me that a, a young child's no doesn't always mean no. Sometimes it's, and I've thought, oh, it's true. Sometimes they say no to me, but they don't really mean no. They say they, they just don't understand what they're saying when they mean no. Immature people, immature children are, are what they're supposed to be. That's just, they're just, it's the, who they are in that stage of life. But immature people are those who act like children. And as Christians, we can't live a life of, of immaturity that acts like children. We can't live a life of inconsistency or fickleness. We can't live a life continually of of dependence upon older people to provide for us what we need. We must grow in our our abilities and and the gifts that God gives us so we might learn to grow up to become mature people. Uh, Paul also uses another another metaphor to describe our hurdle to our ministry, and that is our own... Uh, instability. He uses the, the metaphor of waves. We are no longer to be tossed here and there by waves. Paul uses waves like a, 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 a uses the waves in, in the picture of a boat that's being tossed around by those waves. In a picture, some a Christian who is unstable. They're basically directionless. You know, they go here and they go there. It's, they don't. There's no direction in their life. They're they're tossed to and fro because they're immature. And unstable. Such a Christian, they, they, have, they just go with the flow. There's no aim. There's no purpose. There's no clear understanding. This is what I must head towards. I must head towards Christ's likeness. I must head towards Jesus. There are people who are often led by their feelings. Well, I feel like doing this today. No, I don't feel like doing that. This now. Sometimes they, they will feel like, oh, I feel like going to church this morning. Oh, I don't feel like it today. I'm not going to go. Instability is, a, is, a, is one of the hindrances we're just unstable. They don't have strong convictions, no clear direction. Uh, then Paul uses the metaphor of a wind to describe the immature believer's susceptibility or gullibility. Like I wrote susceptibility. We are no longer to be carried about by every wind. The immature Christian is carried away wherever the wind blows. Maybe it's the same picture of a, of a boat that's carried away by wind, just as wind and waves come together. But I could just as well picture it as like a leaf that's just blown wherever the wind blows. It just goes here and goes there. In this case, Christian, immature Christians are carried away wherever the wind blows. And where these things that they are carried away by are described by three prepositional phrases, by false doctrines and uh, <clears throat> by by every window doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. There's the three phrases there. They're carried away by false doctrines, by malicious people, by worldly philosophies. James will use this very similar metaphor of the wind carrying people about in chapter 1, verse 6 of his book, of his letter. And when there he says, but one must ask in faith without doubting. 
You can't be someone who doubts and unsure, like, oh, is God, what God wants me to ask or not. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. See, e- immature Christians are those that are easily tossed about and carried away by false doctrine. Because they don't know the truths of Christ, they're not grounded by doctrines, the teachings of Christ. When they hear the winds of doctrine or the philosophies of man, or when a, 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 when a, a evil people come alongside and try to lead them astray, because they don't have a grasp of the Word of God, they're easily led astray. They become susceptible to those false doctrines. They believe, end up believing false gospels. They believe and they become believing uh, in even just the, the probably the predominant philosophy of our age, uh, that is at least our postmodern age, is moral relativism, the absence of absolutes, any absolute truths, absolute morals. In fact, it's become such that we now don't even agree about whether a person is male or female, right? You can be somewhere in between. But there's a susceptibility. Other people are carried away uh, by... They're carried away by simply the, the chasing after the latest things, whether the latest Christian fads, the latest Christian thrills. There are people who keep changing churches every year or every couple of years, looking for that something special. Well, that church has that. I'm going to go to there. Oh, no. Oh, I've been here for a couple of years. Oh, that's good. Uh, but I, I'm still missing. I'm going to go to that other church because that, that's what they have for me. And you go there. But only a steady diet of biblical teachings of Christ leads to a maturity that guards from being immature, unstable, unsusceptible to false doctrine. We must be watchful with these kinds of hurdles even in our own lives because none of us are are completely mature yet. All of us have probably still uh, elements of these things even in our own lives. We must be watchful for them as well, not only ourselves, but also watchful for one another in the lives of our fellow members of our body. The new year, of course, is always a great time for us to evaluate at one's life. And as we look upon our Christian life, we must ask ourselves, are we growing? Are we growing in maturity in Christ? Are we becoming more and more conformed to Christ? Or do we find ourselves still facing the same hurdles, the same obstacles of our immaturity, our instability? Are we easily distracted from following Christ because of the whims, the, the pursuits, other pursuits that we have? We need to be people, you need to be people who grow in Christ under teaching. Are you in God's word for yourself? That's a great place to start as the new year begins. Start a Bible reading study program. Are you learning uh, from others? From whether there's, we we live in an age that just is amazing. There's no lack of sermons. Your pastor could preach a terrible sermon on a Sunday morning, but you just go and just go YouTube, internet, just go to gracechurch.org and you can have all the hundred sermons by the end of the week if you wish. There's no lack of great biblical teaching out there in our world. I hope that you'll make, you know, you all have your favorite, you know, online radio preachers out there and go listen to them because, and, or books that they're out there. There's a plenty. There's no lack. There's plentiful truths for us to have that we might grow in maturity because it is only, and that's why we not only know, do that for ourselves, but that's where we come alongside as a body. Why we make disciples. Because we need one another to encourage one another. Sometimes when I'm in the boat, I'm like, oh, I scratch my head, I don't know what that's talking about. Thankfully, I, had, I know where the commentaries are. You probably know where they are too. The sermons online. But we need one another to encourage one another in truth. 
We need somebody who knows us. The online personalities are great in that they explain God's word, but I need someone in my life that will ask me, so how are you doing? How are you doing applying that truth to you? How are you doing in, how you apply that to how you treat your wife or how you encourage your husband? How are you treating that and how you raise your children? How are you taking God's word and, and living out and fleshing out uh, the, the testimony of Christ to, in your workplace, in your school? These kinds of things. And how you, how you deal with your anger, your frustration, uh, your problems, some of the sins that you're wrestling with. Can't grow in these areas without God's, the body of Christ. But it begins with understanding and being equipped with these basic essential truths, the tools, the Bible. It's where we learn about the Son of God and his death on the cross for our sins. The Bible is where we learn that a person must repent and believe upon Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. The Bible is where we learn that God's love for us is the motivation for our own love toward him but also our love for our neighbor. All these things are bound and bound up in the truths of God, the words that we're called to hear, to know that he's our God. He's the only the one God, and he has spoken, and he's given us everything we need to become and attain to the kind of church he has set us apart to become. And he's given to us a wealth of resources to grow into such a church. Even as we go over the, and face the hurdles and the obstacles of immaturity in our lives. Jesus grows his church through the ministry of gifted teachers who teach God's word to his people. The ministry of the saints who speak God's word to one another. Until the whole body attains to unity, maturity, and conformity to Christ. So that we might no longer be children who are immature, unstable, and susceptible to the false doctrines and worldly philosophies of our world, that we might grow up to be the church that Christ has set us apart to become. And when I continue to apply the same application as we did last week, please join with me in praying for the growth of SF Bible, for us as a church. And please consider how you participate in the growth of SF Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths. Charge us as your church. To look to, your, to look to you and to your word and your provision so that we might grow. Father, we want to be, grow in our maturity. We want to grow in our unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We want, we, we want to grow to be a mature man with Christ as our head. We want to grow to, the, to the, truly to be conformed to the image of Christ, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let the fullness of Christ be manifest in this church, we pray. Lord, we pray that we would apply your word by and cooperate by being part of what you are doing, that we would listen to those teachers whom you place among us, equipping us so that we might then speak those truths to one another throughout the week, encouraging one another so that we would grow up into the body of Christ. Lord, uh, help us to be, uh, to be aware and to be... Um, cautious, uh, on guard against uh, the, the hurdles in our lives, our, our own uh, maybe whims and immaturity or instability at times, our own just uh, uh, selfishness or uh, uh, idols of our lives, uh, guard us from being falling into the, the philosophies of our world or, or even other false doctrines. 
Lord, we pray that you would protect us as a church and by allowing us to hold on to the Bible, to study your word, for in it are the truths and the, the faith that is once and for all delivered to the saints. Truths that we know are given by you for the building up of your church. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that you've given us all these things. We thank you for the not only Christ and thank you for what he's provided, but we especially thank you for the provision of this body. Lord, I want to thank you for every soul that's here and that's a member of this body because, Lord, I recognize that we all, we, we all recognize that each one of us here is given for our mutual encouragement and edification, that as we, each of us fulfills your purposes in the, your church, as we speak truth to one another, that we really, that you use us to build one another up in love. Father, we look forward to the continuation of this series next week. Help us to keep praying and asking that you would build your church. Help us to people who look for ways to how we might participate in the, 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 the mission of our church to make disciples of Christ to the glory of God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.